Hello, my spooky bitches, and welcome to the official episode one of the Scaredy Cat Skeptic podcast. I'm Emily Dewsnap, militant skeptic and all-round wimp. And this episode, I'll be taking you on a journey of blue ladies, glowing orbs and grumpy old women. And that includes the spookiness that I even saw myself. Yes, that's right. My first attempt to disprove the existence of ghosts has failed because I only went and bloody saw one. Two, if you count my photograph I took and I'm quite excited to tell you about it. But first, what the chuff is Temple Newsome when it's at home? Well, I'm going to tell you. Temple Newsome is a large Tudor Jacobean stately home in Leeds, West Yorkshire. The house is an eye-catching, bold structure and a Grade 1 listed building, which means that it's defined as a building of outstanding national architectural or historic interest. It sits proudly in its 1,000-acre estate and houses myriad treasures. Of course, in a house with a history so vast, there are many stories and mysteries surrounding Temple Newsome, and we couldn't wait to explore. As we walked up to the house, we were struck by how imposing it was. It's a massive structure, and while its decor inside is a cacophony of fancy and ornate furnishings, the exterior has a distinctly functional feel to it. It's beautiful in its own way, but unlike other stately homes, such as Chatsworth House, it screams of robust solidity over picturesque fancy. The building is laid out in a square C-shape, giving it two distinct wings. It's undeniably impressive, with more than just a hint of the foreboding around the edges. If you're of a certain mindset, you might even say it looks like a stereotypical haunted asylum in a horror film. It almost feels brutalist in style, although it was built way before the brutalist architecture of the 1940s and 50s. Way ahead of its time. Around the top of the roof, a religious quotation stands proud, quite a stark early iteration of today's live, laugh, love signs. It reads, All glory and praise be given to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost on high. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men, honour and true allegiance to our gracious King. Loving affection among his subjects' health and plenty be within this house. It's a bold statement to scream from the rooftops. It adds an almost sinister feel as you stand in the courtyard straining your eyes to read the pale words high above. As if you, the outsider to this household, are an unwelcome intruder in a sacred space. However, once you pass through the doors into Temple Newsome, you are instantly welcomed into its warm embrace. It suddenly becomes clear, in the remarkably cosy interior, that the standoffishness of the outer walls is merely a facade. The inside is just utterly magical. Beautiful wooden floors gleam, exquisite antiques adorn every room, and the faces of previous owners look over the guests with benevolence. The whole place is really gently lit, which makes exploring the house an immersive experience. It has the quiet reverence of a church or a library. Temple Newsome also has a vast art collection. There are obligatory portraits of the heirs and residents of Temple Newsome throughout the ages, but there are more often modern art exhibits scattered throughout. Despite the disparate time zones with the art, the modern art is beautifully suited to its surroundings, so you almost don't notice that there are several different periods and styles of art in one small space. When we visited, there was a spring birds theme throughout, and it was wonderfully seasonal and uplifting, especially after, you know, the grim seasons of January and February. As well as the house, there's a lovely cosy cafe, a home farm, extensive parks, gardens, lakes, and even a golf course. Hours of fun. Well, days, if you really want to do everything. I'm just going to give you a brief history of Temple Newsome because it has just this extensive history and it's well worth digging into that if you're interested. But 
for the purposes of this podcast, I'm just going to give you a brief overview and then talk about the ghosts that reside there, because I know that's why you're really here. Temple Newsom House dates back to the 11th century, or rather the grounds do. 1086 was the first mention of Newsom in the Doomsday Book, when the Knights Templar owned the land, and their logo, as I keep calling it, is liberally dotted around the house. There's also the most fabulous knot garden with Knights Templar logo bushes. My partner Tom keeps laughing at me and insisted I should be calling it Insignia. It's all branding, right? You can tell I was in marketing for years, can't you? You can take the girl out of marketing, but you can't take the marketing out of the girl. The house itself was built in the early 1500s by Thomas Lord Darcy, and back then was the largest house in Yorkshire. I mean, it's got to still be one of the biggest houses in Yorkshire. I don't know what would be bigger than Temple Newsome, to be honest, and especially not now that I've seen it. Given the age of the place, it's changed hands many times. Notorious Ginger, an early incarnation of Donald Trump himself, King Henry VIII, seized the house in 1537, but not before casually beheading Lord Darcy for treason. But it's okay, because it was for religious reasons. It's actually a really interesting story in its own right. Lord Darcy was a campaigner in the Pilgrimage of Grace, a movement dedicated to the Catholic Church. They weren't happy that King Henry had chopped their religion up and smushed it back together in his own interests, i.e. famously inventing the C of E branch of Christianity to get divorced. And they started an uprising. It would take me hours to go into this particular topic, but give it a Google if you get a chance. It's an important part of history, and one that isn't talked about that often, I don't really think. King Henry gave his New Yorkshire house to his niece, Margaret, on her wedding to Matthew Lennox. I mean, as wedding presents go, that's pretty extravagant. Pierces all over that toast you make her Auntie Ethel bought them. Following their wedding, Margaret and Matthew had a son called Henry. I mean, when you live in a 42-bedroomed house your Uncle Henry gave you, it would be rude to call him anything else. Margaret and Matthew's son Henry grew up and had the audacity to marry Mary, Queen of Scots. This wasn't going to do at all. By then infamous ginger and shameless hobag, I mean virgin, sorry, Queen Elizabeth I re-seized the house and chucked them out. She then did what millennials fear the most and handed this huge home to an agent to rent out on her behalf. This went on for quite some time. The striking building was passed from pillar to post among the elites with all their bickering and disagreements over what is essentially the same flipping belief system. Throughout the years following these tiffs, the house took on many guises, including a planned sewage plant and a makeshift World War I hospital. There was also a huge mine at Temple Newsom during World War II. This was known as an open cast site and was all in aid of the war effort. The enormous eyesore has since been filled in, thankfully, and replaced with a golf course, which according to the reviews is pretty good, if hitting little white balls is something you're interested in. You can probably tell by my tone that it's not my hobby of choice. I hate it. I absolutely hate golf. But whatever floats your boat. Finally, after World War II, the house was open to the public and many events have taken place there over the years. In more recent times, there have been shows and music festivals, which have no doubt confused the hell out of the ghosts that reside there. Temple Newsom is a building of many secrets. One of the things I find most interesting about Leeds is the secret tunnels. I've lived in Leeds for 20 years and at times I've had shop jobs. I worked for Clinton Cards for a couple of years while I was at uni and there was always this rumour that the bricked up tunnel in the basement storage room led to a meeting hub underneath Millennium Square. And after doing some digging, I was very surprised to find that this was actually true. All the shops on Commercial Street lead there, and what I didn't realise until I visited Temple Newsom is that the tunnels underneath Millennium Square also lead all the way to Temple Newsom. 
I'll probably do a blog post about the tunnels themselves. I seem to remember that some friends and I were planning on setting up some ghost walks around Leeds after we discovered the tunnels in the first place. But that was nearly 20 years ago and nothing ever came of it. Maybe now I've got a podcast, we can entice some people onto a Leeds ghost walk. Surprised nobody else has done it, to be honest. There's one in Harrogate. Anyway, the ghost stories of Temple Newsom. I'm just going to give you three. Temple Newsome is said to be the most haunted house in Yorkshire, as well as the largest, and with a history that varied, you know, it's no surprise. It's had so many owners, so much tragedy, so much loss, so many wars. I'll just give you three ghost stories to be getting on with. Two of those are the most common that you hear in Temple Newsome, and one of those is a first-hand account from somebody who works there. So, the screams of Phoebe Gray... Phoebe was a young maid at Temple Newsome in the 18th century. One night in 1708, the house was opened up for a great party to celebrate the Duke of Marlborough's victory at the Battle of Blenheim. One of Phoebe's duties was to take a drink up to the house nanny every single night at the same time. So Phoebe hauled herself up the many flights of dark stairs, candle in hand, with said drink on this particular night. Just imagine for a second how dark and scary that would be. There's no artificial light anywhere, no light pollution. And the back staircase at Temple Newsom is fairly narrow and it winds up the many flights. The only light source would have been Phoebe's feeble candle. And the candles used by servants back then really would have been weak. Usually the lower classes would use tallow candles. Tallow is made of rendered beef or pork fat. They were so smelly that they were eventually banned altogether. And anyone who's ever cooked with gelatin will have an idea of that vile stench. The first time I ever used gelatin, I was like, what is that? And these candles gave off an awful lot of smoke, meaning that not only was the light really poor, it was partially obscured as well. So young Phoebe would be out of breath from a trip up those numerous steps and probably eager to return to the brightly lit party because we're talking about a very spiritual, religious time, you know, before a lot of scientific discoveries that we know now. So she would already have been jumpy in the near pitch black of the stairwell. As she was returning down the back staircase, she was accosted by an estate worker called William Collinson. He had seen her leave the party and followed her up the stairs, lying in wait halfway up. Phoebe had been fighting off William's advances for some time and had just recently told him in front of several members of the household that she wanted nothing to do with him. But on this fateful night, he was determined to steal a kiss and he was not taking no for an answer. All right, Brock Turner. The legend says, steal a kiss, but I think we all know what that means, right? When Phoebe pushed him away screaming, William grabbed hold of her and tried to keep her quiet. He held her so tightly that she suffocated. Although some stories say there was a scuffle and she banged her head, nobody really knows, because to hide what he had done, William stuffed her body down the well in the cellar. Charming boy. He then did a runner. When neither William nor Phoebe returned to their posts, people began to assume that the pair had run off together. However, given the furious interaction they'd had recently, where Phoebe had told him she wanted nothing to do with him, some people were suspicious. Several people brought up the fact that Phoebe had repeatedly said she was not interested in William, so a search of the property began. William obviously hadn't hidden Phoebe very well because the body of the poor girl was found later that evening and then they realised what must have happened and a manhunt ensued. William, after committing the gruesome murder, had then gone on the lash. Thirsty work murder. 
He was found in a local pub where he was merrily getting sloshed. And on being discovered, admitted what he'd done to Phoebe. From Leeds, William Collinson was taken to York for trial. He was convicted and sentenced to death. If you visit York, and visit we shall, because there are ghosts galore. Yorkshire really is such a fascinating place. It's got such a rich folklore. If you visit York, you can see the holding cell where William was held until his death by hanging. And thus, our ghost story is born. On dark nights, it's said that you can hear the screams echoing down the back staircase. This is followed by a thump, thump, thump in the stairwell, which people consider to be the sound as the body is dragged down the stairs. Phoebe's screams are also still said to be heard by the cellar to this day. Many reports of these noises have been made by different people in different circumstances, people who work at the house, visitors to the house, people who have no idea about this ghost story whatsoever. It's all very strange. This type of ghost is commonly believed to be in a time loop, repeating the same pattern of behaviour over and over on key dates and at key times. Given the number of times the screams have been reported on the stairs and near the cellar, it would seem that these particular spirits are doomed to live out that miserable night every single day at Temple Newsom. Although whether they adhere to daylight savings, I don't know. In that same area of the house, some other strange happenings have been reported. For example, the night porter regularly hears loud hammering on the door that's usually reserved for deliveries. He doesn't answer now, because every time he goes to see who it is, there's nobody there. So there's just no point. He just doesn't bother getting up anymore. Other members of staff also refuse to go into that section of the house, claiming that they feel a dark and malevolent presence. The ghost of Phoebe Gray isn't the most reported sighting at Temple Newsom, however. And that brings us to the ghostly blue lady of Temple Newsom. Scaredy Cat Skeptic may have been born in Leeds, but its creators were not. So I had no idea about the myths surrounding the blue lady. It's becoming something of an urban legend, apparently, among school kids um, in Leeds and has taken on a life of its own. And they chant, blue lady, blue lady, you killed your blue baby, which is so far from what actually happened that I I don't know. I guess it's the case of just the story just evolving legs over time. No idea. Anyway, according to the stories, if you repeat that phrase several times while looking in a mirror, bad things will happen. We're not sure what exactly, but probably best not to, eh? Not quite Bloody Mary, but spooky nonetheless. The story behind the Blue Lady is said to actually be quite tragic. But personally, I think the poor lassie was squeezed to death by a sex pest and then stuffed in a well has more right to claim tragedy. Let me know what you think when you hear this. The Blue Lady is believed to be the ghost of Lady Mary Ingram a young girl who lived in the house in the late 17th century. One evening, when she was just 14 years old, Lady Mary was on her way back from a party when her carriage was ambushed by highwaymen. Her favourite necklace, a present from her godfather, was ripped from around her neck. She was absolutely distraught and on returning home, fell into a deep slumber. When she woke up, she couldn't remember the robbery and couldn't understand what had happened to her necklace. We've all been there, love. Can't tell you the amount of specs I've lost on a night out and I've no memory of taking off. I lost a shoe once. Just one. I spent years looking for that shoe, but it was nowhere to be seen. I must have lost it on the way home, but just one shoe. One high heel shoe. Many questions, zero answers. But yes, understandably, Lady Mary was terribly upset at the loss of such a prized item. She spent days wandering the house searching for the pearl necklace. She unpicked cushions and lifted up floorboards. She was absolutely consumed by the loss. 
just to return to the shoe momentarily, I, I was really was genuinely upset about it. I love those shoes. Limited edition Ted Baker Mary Janes. Like a little wheelie line up the front, like a 1940s court shoe. Oh, I've still got the other one. You know, as if one day the missing shoe's just going to clop home. Stranger things have happened at sea. Anyway, Lady Mary took it one step further and was so distraught she refused to eat. She died two weeks later. But at least nobody could say she hadn't reached her goal weight. I'm joking, that is the patriarchy talking, fuck diet culture, fuck it hard, in the ass. That is, of course, a horrible story and one of some very shocking mental illness. It's already becoming a motif of this podcast. Every single time I write a blog post, it comes back to, this could be mental illness. And when you think back over time, we've only really just started scratching the surface of mental illness. We don't really know the impact of it, even now. So I think in the future, a lot of these things will boil down to mental illness. Mental illness and the supernatural just seem to go hand in hand. The sad ghost of the Blue Lady is said to roam the halls of Temple Newsom, still searching for her missing jewellery. Portrait of Lady Ingram hangs in the Gothic Room at Temple Newsom, and that's where she's most often seen. The Gothic Room is actually the only room at Temple Newsom that gave me the willies. But I think it's because the wallpaper is so hideous, it made me feel like I was going to have a migraine. It's a bit off-brand to me not to like the Gothic-y place, but it felt like the least Gothic room we'd been in. It was just so busy and so cold and I did not like it one bit not for ghostly reasons so the main stories at Temple Newsome Phoebe Gray and Lady Ingram they don't even begin to cover the amount of scary experiences that people have had there so I'm just going to give you one from somebody who works there and we've called it the rockabilly sighting one Sunday morning, Julie, a visitor assistant at Temple Newsom, was on cleaning duty. She was happily vacuuming the carpets on one of the lower corridors near the kitchen when a movement in the corner of her eye caused her to look up. She was surprised to see a young woman standing at the end of the corridor. Julie said that she was particularly taken aback because there wasn't supposed to be anyone else down there. The house wasn't open. The woman was wearing a pencil skirt and sporting an updo, but more than that, there was something distinctly vintage about her appearance. The woman looked Julie dead in the eyes and then turned and went into one of the rooms off the corridor. So Julie followed her to tell her she wasn't supposed to be in the house at all because it wasn't open yet. Upon entering the room, Julie realised that it was clearly empty and that there was only one explanation for the woman she had seen. It was obviously one of the house's many ghosts. Given that the house was a hospital during World War I and an open cast site during World War II, it doesn't seem to be a huge stretch to assume that what Julie had seen was the ghost of a site office administrator. I think the important question here is, did we see ghosts at Temple Newsome? And as the sceptic, it's hard for me to say yes, but kind of, yeah. We saw a couple, actually, in one way or another. So first, in the narrow corridor of the first floor, or second floor, if there are any Americans out there listening, there hangs a dingy looking painting of a dog hunting a hare. Except it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't look like a hunt. It basically looks like a it looks like a dog fisting a rabbit. And my partner, Tom, gleefully pointed this out to me, and I started giggling because I thought we were on our own. But off that corridor, there are several interlocking rooms that you can't get to from that side. You have to walk around the bottom, curl back on yourself, and then you can walk back up through the rooms. So 
So Tom walked on a little bit further and I'm still laughing and I'm about to start recording. And then I'm just going to play you. I'm just going to play you what happened. So we're here at Temple Newsom. It's late and we're the only people... What? No, in, in there. Yeah, that one. What the fuck? No, she's in there. What the fuck? No, no, she's in there. Um, so I've just had a bit of an experience. Uh, it's late and only my partner and I left at Temple Newsome, other than the people that work here and they're all downstairs. And I've just seen an old lady in one of the rooms, but Tom's just been back to check and she's not there. There was nobody there. I swear, she, there was a very solid, very real, very old lady standing in that room. I looked right at her. Well, she looked right at me too. It wasn't It wasn't a trick of the light. I couldn't tell you what she was wearing, but it was something dark because it was a dark room and she had grey hair and it was up in a neat bun and she looked a bit stern, but that's because we were telling filthy jokes. Um, we'd just gone and checked the rest of the floor. There was an older couple up ahead. Oh God, I can't believe I'm saying this. There was an older couple up ahead, but that wasn't what I saw. She was really old, like re- really old, like a raisin. And there's no way she could have gone all the way up that corridor in this time. What is even happening right now? I'm a bit shaken, actually. I don't really want to hang around here just talking about her, you know, just in case. How has this happened on my first podcast trip? I'm the skeptic. What are you supposed to do in these circumstances? Oh my god, oh, oh I feel really weird and creeped out. Oh. Okay, I'm gonna uh I'm gonna sign off and finish recording at home because I'm not very coherent at the minute. Sorry folks. So I'm recording at home now. When we finally reached the end of the corridor and turned back on ourselves to work our way through the interlocking rooms, there was one older couple up ahead of us they were right up at the other end but neither of them was the little old lady that I'd seen and they were the only other people on that floor at the time I hadn't actually realized that they were there at all or I wouldn't have tried to record it is quite dark in that section of the house so I have to assume now that it was the lady from that couple that I saw and my brain just filled in the gaps and saw her as older than she was because she was this tiny little wrinkled old woman with her hair pulled back in a bun and she was wearing something dark I don't know what I I wasn't paying attention because I was embarrassed that we'd been joking about fisting but yeah the woman up ahead of us was wearing jeans and I just don't think that that little old lady could have got that far up ahead but you never know it must there must be a logical explanation for it so yeah What I'm assuming is that I saw the old lady from this couple, the older lady, we're talking 50s, not massively older, and my brain just filled in some gaps and she saw her as older than she was, because if I don't assume that, I now believe in ghosts and the podcast must come to an end. No, seriously though, I'm sure it was a brain burp, except there's more. When we got home, I posted the photographs and videos I'd taken just on Facebook, I didn't want to post them all over because the podcast hadn't been released by that point. So I I just wanted to share with friends and family that we'd been out for the day. Uh, I hadn't actually noticed anything at the time 
or even when I was looking back through the photographs, but then I received some messages from people pointing out a couple of spooky anomalies. The first of these was in front of a painting of Isabella Mackle or the Viscountess Irwin. The photograph itself isn't great because it's really dimly lit in Temple Newsom, like I said, and you're not supposed to use flash photography, so it's a bit grainy. However, clear as day, on the left-hand side is a strange blue light. I assumed it was some sort of flare on the lens, but I have no idea what could have been flaring. We didn't see anything that would that was flashing. I'm very photosensitive, I would have noticed. I checked in with Barry Dodds, ghost hunter extraordinaire, and he confirmed that it was not a flare. It wasn't anything on the wall, we'd have noticed, mostly because the wallpaper in that room is a rich red, and the anomaly is... Well, it's, it's blue. I can't believe it. It's absolutely typical for me, this, in trying to disprove the existence of ghosts. I've gone and bloody captured one on camera. It's not in any of the other photographs, so it's not a glitch with my phone. It's a mystery. I'm refusing to knee-jerk to ghosts, but it's pretty bloody spooky that I captured a blue thing in the home of the blue lady. And I promise you, this podcast is not going to be gimmicky. There's going to be no faking anything. So let me know what you think or if you've had similar experiences at Temple Newsom. A similar set of orbs appeared in one of the videos I took in that room as well. Although that very much does look like light bouncing off something. I've no idea what. Uh, it could have been the candle lights reflecting off the small silver torch that they give you for the tours. I'll post the pictures into the show notes and you can have a look for yourself. Some members of staff at Temple Newsom refused to go into some of the darker areas of the house, including the stairwell where Phoebe Gray was killed. Many people have reported sightings or overwhelming feelings of dread. I honestly didn't feel like that at all. Even when I saw the old lady, I felt like the house all over had a really friendly feel to it. Except for the gothic room, but that was just for migrainy reasons. Granted, it is positively humming with history. The air is thick with it. It has that really satisfying old smell. And despite the high footfall, Temple Newton thrums with stories of bygone eras, it hasn't been eroded at all by the footfall of thousands of people visiting. It's, it still just feels like you're stepping back in time. You can kind of almost imagine you're in a time slip. It's like you're almost transported back for a moment. But even in the depths of the cellars, with their winding underground passages and creepy nooks and crannies, I felt right at home, honestly. We took the cellar tour, um, and I highly recommend it. The tour guide was an absolute gem. He spent time with us specifically to talk about the ghosts, and then led the whole group underground to check out the cellar and underground passages. And that crosses underneath the courtyard. It would have allowed the servants to get from one wing of the building to the other without having to go through uh, the halls and things like that. But it would have been absolutely terrifying for them carrying heavy plates of food underneath the house with tallow candles. Terrifying. But it actually, like I said, it had a really nice feel to it down there. And you, you get to go underneath the courtyard and come out on the other side if you do take the tour. It's really good. Um, I spoke to several of the assistants while we were there, actually, not just the, the tour guide. There was one young guy who said that he hadn't seen anything as solid as a ghost, but he'd had some really strange experiences, including like doors closing and opening on their own, and the feel of hands touching his back sometimes when there was no one there. He agreed with me that if there are ghosts present, they aren't malevolent. 
So I'm going to give you our rating for the the whole thing now. So these are our ratings for Temple Newsome in general, including a spookiness rating. Potential ghosts seen by Scaredy Cat 2. This was our first podcast outing and I was impressed we came back with potentially ghostly evidence. I wasn't expecting that at all. Scare factor 2 out of 10. While we heard many tales of ghosts and even maybe saw a couple, this place just doesn't feel frightening at all. It was very quiet when we visited and we were often the only people in one section of the house, but I'd be quite happy rocking around there on my own. We did go in broad daylight, so whether I'd be quite that happy to be there alone at night, it's not something you can just easily determine, but of all the places I've been that are supposedly haunted, that's the least frightening. Value for money, 10 out of 10. Cannot fault Temple Newsom for value for money. A lot of the stately homes charge up was of £20 each for adults, but Temple Newsom is a lot less expensive and it's a lot bigger than the others as well. It's £8 to see the house. Although my mum did try to get us a family ticket, but Tom and I are both in our 30s, so it was a bit of a long shot, really. It's still an absolute bargain, though. Uh, if you want to see the farm too, you can buy a joint ticket for £11.50. You possibly won't have time to do both things in a day, not fully anyway. There's just so much to see. I'm going to put the full pricing in the show notes, including the tours. Family friendliness, 9 out of 10. I've marked it as a 9 just because there are so many places for children to hide and there's a lot of stairs for children to fall down. And there's also a lot of nude paintings dotted around. And while I have zero issues with nude art or children seeing naked bodies, because as far as I'm concerned, naked bodies are not pornography. Pornography is what you make of naked bodies. I know that some people do take issue with it. A lot of people take issue, in fact. You wouldn't believe the messages I've had on my art accounts. Corrupting children, apparently. There are actually designated areas for children and they can sit down there. There are spaces for dressing up in vintage costumes and there are kids books that are available to borrow while you're in the house. Accessibility, sorry, six out of ten. So Temple Newsom is amazing, but if you're in a wheelchair, you might struggle. There are lifts, but they can't get you into every nook and cranny. The corridors are narrow and the floors are uneven in places. It's understandable given the age of the house. It's a grade one listed building. There's only so much they can do. There's only so much they can modify. However, there are ramps and entrances to the disabled parking close to the venue. Disabled access is also available at the shop, the cafe and the farm. The members of staff are really great as well. Um, Where possible, they've done everything that they can to make sure it's as inclusive as they can make it. You can't take electric wheelchairs into the house. But if you need one, they'll provide a manual wheelchair at the door. But then you're kind of left to your own devices. And some areas, you just can't access them unless you're on foot. They're up tiny, narrow, winding staircases. Time spent four hours, and that was just for the house. We spent a good four hours exploring Temple Newsom, And even then, we just didn't do it the justice it deserved. I could have spent another four, happily, another four hours. Beauty spot, seven out of ten. I'm very conflicted about this. Temple Newsome House is imposing and Tom kept saying it looked like a prison from the outside. And you can see from the photographs just how stark it looks if you haven't been there. However, the inside is very beautiful and we were all really impressed with how well the buildings looked after. And the grounds are stunning too. It's a rolling 1,000 acre estate, so it's perfect for walks and picnics and you don't have to pay to get into the grounds. But if you do pay to get into the house, it's warm because the house needs to be heated to avoid damp. So if you're trying to save on heating bills, 
get yourself down there to warm up. £8 a day. Bargain. Customer service, 9 out of 10. Can't really fault it. The staff in the house are knowledgeable. Every single one of them was happy to help and answer questions. They spent loads of time with us. The staff in the cafe seemed a little bit lost, but we got there in the end. So I've got some listener stories. Didn't get any Temple Newsome specific ghost stories, but I'm just going to tell you a couple that we got in the inbox. And thank you to everyone who sent your stories through. I can't tell you how much it means that we've had this response already. So I was contacted by Michaela from Warwick with a spooky spring tale. Michaela says, When my mum first moved into the house that she died in, my nana gave her a rose bush. She was really proud of her garden and my mum wanted to give gardening a go and my nana said that the roses bloomed every year. So it was a good start for the garden. This was over 30 years ago. My dad's lived in that house for ages now. But the rose bush my mum planted never had any flowers on it. It carried on growing and was a great big tangle of thorns, but my mum could never get it to grow any flowers. She kept it anyway because she felt like she should keep trying. We knew it could grow roses. We'd seen it. It became a running joke. Every spring, my dad would start taking the piss out of her for being a rubbish gardener. Even when my nana came over to have a go with it, she couldn't get it to bloom. My mum was really annoyed by it, especially since the rose bush had loads of massive roses on it when it was at my grandparents. Cut to about 10 years ago, and my nana passed away. She had pretty aggressive cancer, so it was less than a year from her getting the diagnosis to passing. It had just spread so far before they found it that they couldn't do anything. We were basically just waiting for her to pass. On the night she passed, we got a phone call at about 4am stating that she had passed, and my mum looked really shocked. Obviously, she was upset, but it shouldn't have been a shock. They'd only given her a few weeks to live at the start. But my mum seemed really dazed, so I asked her what was wrong, and she said that when the phone started ringing, she was having a dream that Nana had come into the bedroom and opened the curtains, and it was a sunny spring day. And she said, It's time for that rosebush to bloom. And then the phone started ringing, and she woke up. So she basically seen her mum at the moment she died. Nana passed at the end of March, so the funeral was the first week in April. The day that she went turned out to be a sunny spring day like my mum had dreamt about. We felt silly, but we checked the rose bush. There were no roses, so we decided the dream was a coincidence. After the funeral, a week later, we went back to my mum and dad's house with some of the people from the wake. And as we walked down the garden path, my mum stopped and went, Oh my God, the rose bush had buds on it. That year, the bush bloomed with these huge pink roses on it, but the year after, it was back to just being a nasty-looking shrub. Three years after my nana died, my granddad died. We think he died of a broken heart because he was fit as a flea normally, but once she went, he just started to turn into an old man. We kind of knew he wasn't dealing with it. He also died in the march, and on the way back from the funeral, it happened again. Except this time, the roses were red, and they were huge that year. The rose bush hasn't bloomed since, just those two times. I really feel like it was my nana and pops. Why would that happen otherwise? Some other stuff has happened over the years, like when my daughter was old enough to speak and she kept going into the garden to play, not even my mum's garden, ours, we could hear her talking like she was having a conversation. She even paused when the other person should be speaking. And when we asked her who she was speaking to, she looked me dead in the eye and went, it's Pops, Mummy. He said you like flowers. Also, my Nana loved magpies when she was alive, and the day after Pops passed, a pair of magpies moved into the garden. 
when my mum passed last year, they were cackling like mad when we were clearing the house out, going absolutely berserk. It was so loud, you can't tell me that's coincidence. I mean, that's terrifying. <laughs> well, no, it's not. It's nice. It's a nice tale, but it's made all the hairs on the back of my arms stand up. The sceptic in me is trying to go, coincidence. But Michaela's right, that is very weird. And now to contrast the spring story, I've got a winter story for you. Uh, This one is from Terry from Aberdeen, and she's called it When an Intruder Doesn't Leave Any Tracks in the Snow. I was in my early 20s and staying with my parents one Christmas when a really scary thing happened to me. I'm 43 now, and I still remember it like it was yesterday. For some reason, I hate the house my parents live in, but I put it down to not wanting them to move out of the house I grew up in. The new house was near a cemetery and it felt really cold all the time. I just didn't like it. So this one Christmas, my brother and his girlfriend had bagsied their one spare room and the other one was full of clutter. So I was on a blow-up mattress in the living room. I quite liked it because I could make sure nobody was sneaking a look at the presents. My brother used to do that all the time when we were kids. I'd had a bad year. My first long-term boyfriend had given me gonorrhea and that's how I'd found out he was cheating on me. No, oh, Terry. All the signs were there, but I was young. So I had to move out and find somewhere to live and all I could afford was this grotty shared flat with people I didn't know. I wasn't keen on any of them either. I think I was depressed, but I didn't know that at the time. One of the new flatmates kept saying she was psychic and she could see a dark shadow following me around all the time. It was a shitty thing to say to someone. It made me feel really weird and I wasn't sleeping well because of it. So a blow-up mattress wasn't going to help me sleep. It must have been about 5am on Christmas morning and I'd been up all night tossing and turning. I heard a tapping noise and just couldn't place it. It sounded like someone throwing stones at the window. I wondered if someone had forgotten their keys, but everyone was home. My brother had come crashing in at 2am, waking me from the only sleep I'd managed to get that night. So I knew for sure he was back. The dog was fast asleep and snoring on my legs. I looked around for the source of the noise, but I couldn't see anything. Then I realised I hadn't closed the curtains properly. It was hard to make out, but it looked like there was someone standing in front of the gap in the curtains. The tapping started again. Six taps, and then it stopped. I froze because we weren't expecting anyone, until the afternoon, and it was 5am. I started to get out of bed to see what was going on, thinking it might be something important, like a gas leak or something. I grabbed my phone, which was a flip phone back then, so there was no torch or anything. I woke the dog up when I moved and she was instantly on guard. She whined at the window and then started snarling. I've never seen her like that. She's a big dog, a daft old labradoodle, but I don't think I realised how big she was until that moment. She looked so fierce. Then I heard the tapping again, louder this time, so I told the dog to calm down and went to the window. I really didn't want to. Something felt so off about it all. There was a weird smell, like rotting, like gone-off eggs or milk or something really sour and off, just foul. My heart was racing. I called out, hello, but there was just more tapping. I reached the window and I could definitely see a shape now. It was definitely someone there. I pulled the curtains open and jumped out of my skin. There was a man standing there with his face inches from the window. It was very dark out, but there were street lights and I could see these weird wide open eyes looking right at me. At that point, the dog launched herself at the window and I started screaming. And the next thing, the whole house was up and running down the stairs. 
I was crying by this point and just about managed to point and say that someone was outside. My brother and dad went out to check, but when I looked back to the window, there was nobody there. They came back in really annoyed and said I'd been dreaming. I tried to explain that I hadn't slept at all, but they didn't believe me. It had snowed overnight and there was a thick layer of smooth snow everywhere. When we turned the porch light on, the only footprints were the one from my brother and dad. There were none in front of the window. Everyone told me off and said I'd been making things up, except my now ex-sister-in-law, who said she believed me. She later admitted to me that she'd heard the tapping on the window too, but thought it was me making a cup of tea or something. That's not what woke her up, though. She said she felt someone shaking her awake and thought it was my brother, but he was asleep. She said at the same time she also felt warm breath on her ear and a gruff man's voice say, he's here, or something like that. And even though everyone said I was tripping they could all smell the weird, rotting smell. My mum spent most of Christmas Day cleaning out the fridge and pulling furniture out to try and find what was causing the smell. The dog wouldn't leave my side that day, and every time I went near the window, she started whining. I couldn't help it, though. I was desperate to see something that would prove I wasn't dreaming. I kept seeing a lone figure in the cemetery and feeling creeped out, but it's a way off, and people often visit graves at Christmas, so I don't know if it was anything. There was someone there, though. I know what I saw. I know I saw him. I'll never forget those eyes, either. They were so weird and staring. I want to say they were yellow, but that could have been the streetlights. When I think back, the man was short and stocky, and he didn't have a top on. Why would anyone be out in the snow in Aberdeen on Christmas Eve at five in the morning? Naked. My brother's wife wouldn't go back to my parents after that. So that was the last Christmas we all spent together. And then she left him anyway, and I don't blame her. I still go there sometimes, but I won't stay in that living room ever again. I don't blame you either. I mean, from a sceptical perspective, it's Christmas Eve, people go out on the lash. It's Scotland, people drink a lot in Scotland. No judgement, people drink a lot here too. So it could have just been someone hammered coming home from the pub, got lost, maybe, maybe was trying to get into one of the next door houses or something like that. The lack of footprints is strange, although lack of sleep can do very strange things to your mind. I know because I have a lot of sleep issues. Yeah, I don't know. That's a weird one. It's very creepy. So just some thank yous. Uh, I just wanted to say a massive thank you to everyone who's emailed me their stories. I really wasn't expecting quite so many. Uh, We got some real bangers. I've been really struggling to sleep myself since I've been reading them. Don't worry, we will get to you at some point We'll just put it into the order in which I received them to begin with and we'll take it from there. For anyone wanting to send us their tales, feel free to send voice memos. So if you'd rather we put your story in your voice on the podcast, just send me a voice memo and I'll edit that in. Or if you just want to email us, I will read them out for you in my mixing Mancunian Yorkshire twang. And this is your shout. We want to know what you think of the podcast. Do you have any suggestions? any improvements we are just starting out so all comments are welcome if you don't have any suggestions give us a five star rating on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and more importantly do you have any ghost stories you want to share visit the website for more information scaredycatskeptic.co.uk and that's skeptic with a k there's a contact page for you to submit your stories and there's also an email address on there if you prefer you can also dm us on social media We are on Twitter at Scaredy Skeptic because Scaredy Cat Skeptic was too long. We're on Insta, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube and LinkedIn at Scaredy Cat Skeptic. 
Um, I'm old, so I'm really struggling with TikTok at the minute, but I'm hoping to get some more content on there soon. Although whether I'll be posting every day, I don't know. Uh, if you've got a location you think we should visit in the UK, uh, drop us a line. We're just sticking to the UK at the minute because I can't justify flying around the world just yet for the start of the project, but we will start taking other places on board. At some point, I really just want to go to the Isle of Man to see Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe and all that good stuff. And I look forward to sharing more spooky tales with you. Special thanks go to Tom Bramall for the concept art for Scaredy Cat Skeptic Maud. Um, thank you to Sammy McEwen for her insights into the spiritual side of things. I always ask for her advice and she's agreed to be on the podcast and to do some guest blogging for us. Our music is by Diamond Tunes. See you next time. Happy hauntings.